from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Welcome to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos with Dave and DB. Just gonna stretch. Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome once again, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Uh, I am DB Spitzer, and I will let everyone introduce themselves, all of the co hosts this week. And to my virtual right, I have David Heath. David. Hi, my name is David Heath. I am also known as Farmer Dave. And I am here to talk. All right. And to my virtual left, I have Gretchen. Gretchen. <laughs> His other virtual left. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Gretchen Brooks, a.k.a. Gretchen Martin, Chen, or Gretchen is Weird. All right. Cool, cool. And Gretchen, welcome to the show. This is your first Dang. show. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you're, well, you're, you're uh, as taking co-host, over co-host. Right. Show as a guest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You guys interviewed me in December, I think. Oh, yeah. But uh, I think I've seen you kicking around the HP Lovecraft Film Festival since <laughs> at least 2016. Oh, yeah, totally. It's been, um, I think 2015 was like the first time I actually went to the festival. Mm-hmm. And that was, I think that was the one that had, I want to say it was Jeffrey Combs and... Um, Doug Bradley, but it might have been somebody else. It might have been, um, what's his name? Scott. Oh, I don't remember. But yeah, yeah it's been a minute. It's It's been a few years. Yeah, I remember Doug Bradley was definitely there for the Lovecraft uh, preview or the Portland Horror Festival or one of those things. There was a bunch of stuff going on that year. <laughs> yeah, and we had Zompire, and then there was the Cthulhu Con, and that was Correct. pretty rad. Yeah, 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 yeah yes. at the plaza. <laughs> yeah, that was the first one I attended. The oh, one at the very Crown, cool. Crown Plaza. It was a. It was a hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah. was the Crown Plaza. Yeah. I remember I was hanging out with um, was it uh William um Spunkmeyer? Is that what his name is? What's name? Oh, I Pugmire. can't remember. Pugmire. Yes, I was hanging out with him. He were we were chatting um about talking about Boy George in the lobby just chilling because they were like have taken a moment to themselves and i was like oh i see your crown <laughs> very cool very How cool. awesome all right so yeah today we are going to be talking about all kinds of cool stuff we're going to be talking about a little guy who walks in the dust and a creepy thing that walks around and other people so (laughs) and dave's going to be talking about a lot of different monsters from something we talked about the other week uh dave's going to be talking about all the different monsters in cabin in the woods oh wow that was such a that was oh man I, i i just keep talking about that movie to everyone i had sarah watch it the other night and uh she was like oh this isn't as bad as i thought it was gonna be and I'm like, why did you think it was going to be bad? And you said, it's got as much blood as Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I'm like, 
yeah, there's like one scene with blood. And she still hasn't seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but she assumes it's the worst movie ever made. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's that's there's 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 some cannibal Holocaust movies that. <laughs> oh, definitely. definitely. <laughs> oh, we're talking about different types of wars. True story. Yeah. I watched um, Cabin in the Woods on my honeymoon. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, but was it was at the coast. So oh. I did watch The Fog and um, Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> <laughs> Good double feature. Right? Super romantic. Nice. That's Very me. Fun. I'm Very a romantic fun. lady. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to start setting up some stuff here. So you two start talking about the treader and the dust while I uh, set up the next uh, reel. Okay. Oh. So... Um, do you want to say how you pronounce it? Because I, when I try I, to say it, it sounds like a sneeze. Coacho Utata. Utatus. Okay, cool. Because I'm, I'm going with Latin on this one. I, I took five years of Latin in school, so I'm hoping that that serves me in some way. I did pig Latin in school. Nice, nice. <laughs> I got to tell you, I don't know much about this person, this creature, this monster, this god. So I you know, I thought that I he only appears to the best of my knowledge in one short story. Yeah, that's Clark Ashton Smith story, right? Yes. And I thought I had read it. And I don't think I had because I I went and found it and read it this week. Mm. And and I think I would have remembered it. I mean, of the unholy trinity trinity, you know, of Lovecraft, uh, Smith and Robert E. Howard. I'm the least versed in Smith. Yeah, same. Um, but um, I was rather impressed with the story. Um, and it's, uh, the story it comes from is The Treader of the Dust. And uh, Smith started out as a poet. And hmm. he did, went from, he was actually a really well-known, not well-known, but well-respected in certain uh, certain circles as a poet. And he decided to give it up to write um, pulp stories. And his poetic background really comes through in this. Uh, it comes, when I read it, it, it struck me as, in fact, I read it and I found a copy or found some one reading it on YouTube, so I listened to it while I read it. Oh, cool! I didn't know you could. I didn't know that was on there. <laughs> yeah, it is, and I would definitely uh, recommend it. Um, and it's very poetic. It's it's almost a prose poem. Um, in ways, I think he was trying to out Lovecraft, Lovecraft, and and you know Lovecraft said that's how Lovecraft and Smith met is that basically Lovecraft wrote him a fanboy letter and said, you by far are a better poet than I ever will be. And I think he was right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't really consider Lovecraft like one of those, I don't consider him poetic. I mean, I mean, some might, but personally. And um, it, it's kind of interesting, I think, yeah, that in this, it's like a fusion of Lovecraft in the cosmic horror of Lovecraft and the gothic horror of Poe. Um, really? Yeah, and and by all means, I recommend this. Uh, I found a copy online, and I found uh, a recording uh, on YouTube, and it's not that long. It's only like 22 minutes, so it's not that mm. long of a story. And so it does sort of fuse the two, I think, of uh, the, st- the styles. And I also realized this is what an 83 year old story. So uh, spoilers, but it basically is this man who studies occult books comes to his house or his cabin and it's all dirty. And he's all mad because his servant his servant ain't that bright, but at least he cleans the house. And then he has all these occult books out and he realizes that this dust in the house is basically his servant that his servant accidentally called forth this this uh quacho utas 
and it's very nihilist. I mean, it's not like pro-nihilist Nietzscheism, but when this creature comes, it dissolves everything, and that the dust is the the matter of the beings that it dissolved. So the dust is the, that's what it's treading. Mm. Uh, and so it's very um, dark. Yeah, one of the uh, things I read about it was that it like summoning it is basically like if you're going if you're planning on committing suicide, this is the god to summon. Exactly, exactly, and maybe that—that's maybe I—I I got that it was maybe an accident that the the servant didn't know what he was dealing with, but this guy's thought patterns start getting darker and edgier. So it's a great story. It's a dark story. Might be some trigger warnings on it. I mean, it's still forty, so it's not like deep nihilism. And as far as I know, he only appears in that one story. Yeah, that's everything that I've looked up about him. That's all that I've that that's all that it shows is that particular story. Yeah. Um, it's also kind of, I mean, it's not exactly the same as like the thing, but like how the the story of the thing has that nihilistic kind of like dark nature. It kind of feels like they they kind of run parallels. Exactly. I, I completely agree with you on that. So good pairing there, DB. <laughs> thank you, thank you. DB is our 5D chess master. <laughs> <laughs> well, something I wanted to say is that uh, QU, as I'm going to call this being, <laughs> uh, just baby, uh, if you're nasty, is uh, also found in the Chaosium RPG, of course, Tabletop oh, RPG. Totally, totally. And there is at least one, one, one thing that I remember. It has to do with like a bridge that's struck by lightning, and there's a body held in it. But it may not have anything to do with it. But it makes me think of that. And I've, I've, I've used uh, Dust Baby as kind of like if someone says. Don't go looking in there. You're not going to find anything but pain and suffering and, you know, give them the old Bene Gesserit witch talk. And, uh, you know, they keep doing it. They're going to find something that's going to undo them. But that's 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 more or less if like a, a party just goes book crazy and doesn't actually want to poke around or mess around and find out or accidentally stumble across a Shoggoth or anything, and it's just like, you can't just do all research. You can't all just be librarians. Well, gotta thin out the herd. Let's 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 pull out the treader and dust. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um yeah, no, no, no. There is there is quite a bit of a nihilistic uh view with uh QU there. And it does kind of mess uh mix with uh, the thing and something that I also wanted to bring up. Uh, we won't be talking about it with the thing since it's not actually the thing, but something that this story reminds me of that also reminds me of the thing is something that I thought the thing was based off of. Come to find out, not at all. It's just another story, and another story is Ambrose Bierce's The Damned Thing. Which is I don't know one of my favorite stories. If okay, all right. Um, it's about uh, people, uh, a guy, a coroner coming to check out this this camp where everyone's like, you know, just these working people that are like really kind of like, uh, just they're wait, not wasted, like they're trashed and drunk and stuff. Some of them might be, but they've just been worked hard and everything like that. Uh, there's a journal of a uh, guy that the uh, coroner is looking at, and they, they he keeps talking about something that is unseeable that he keeps hunting, and it's it is this nihilistic, awful view of of what's going on, and like forgetting everything about it's it's almost like somewhere between, um. Who goes there and Moby Dick? <laughs> my opinion. Oh, wild! It's 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 a fun one, 
And I even believe uh, they did a Master of Horror uh, with uh, The Damned Thing. But that's an Ambrose Beer story. And I just wanted to get that out there before before, uh, commercial breaks and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, One thing we're not going to be talking about in the next part is Invisible Monsters because... They're kind of hard to show on film, but maybe there's some missed monsters in there. We'll find out. Speaking of monsters, uh, did, you, did you know that you could 3D print your own monsters with any cubic? Any cubic. I just picked up a Cobra uh, Go, which is uh, one that you have to put together yourself. I spent a little extra money for a magnetic bed. Uh, printing stuff out, easy as can be. I've, I watched about two videos on YouTube, double check that they were both doing the same thing. And we, uh, yeah, we got it going. We're printing up our own Call of Cthulhu figurines. Uh, yeah. We're making barrettes. We're, we're making all kinds of cool stuff. Hmm. But yeah, uh, you can get a pretty good deal on some of the filament that you use for 3D printing. Any cubic, follow the code in the links if you want to find out more. And all right, here's Dave. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. I want to tell you all about something. I want to tell you about a guy I know in a place. This is Dave's Corner of the Podcast. It is awesome. It's gonna go fast. It's not the interview pod. Ha ha. Hey everybody, it's just me, uh, Farmer Dave. Everybody else is gone, and um, so because of everything going on, I didn't really have an interview, but I really wanted to talk about something that I normally talk about when I'm just with, you know, one person or a small group. So this is just going to be a standard sort of conversation uh, between you and me, except for the fact that it's probably talking on your phone or your computer and you can pretend to talk to me but I can't hear you uh, so uh, let's talk about what I always talk about with people monsters and we're going to talk about the monsters in the movie that DB and I talked about last week which is Cabin in the Woods now I'm not sure that you think of this movie as a monster movie, but it, and maybe it's not, I don't know, but it is jam-packed full of monsters at the end. And uh, we see this where, uh, and again, if you haven't seen the movie, it's what out, been out like 12 years now. Um, at the end, basically all the monsters at the underground government contain- containment center basically escape. It's this huge super monster jailbreak. And if you have not seen the movie, almost surely you've seen the meme where, you know, he's standing in front of the the whiteboard with all the monsters that are names written as they take a, you know, bets on which monster is going to 
be released to destroy uh, the uh, unsuspecting college students uh, to complete the ritual to stop the great old ones from coming. A lot of these monsters are, are really just set dressing, but some of them are so, so much more. And they're all this loving tribute, and they're all fun. I believe I said last week, you know, that if someone took a list of these monsters, and they're out there, if you could go ahead and look on them uh, online, they would make a great sort of monster codex for a modern role-playing game. So I think pretty much all of us know that uh, Cabin in the Woods was the created, produced, you know, the brainchild of Josh Whedon. And Josh Whedon, of course, created Firefly. And one of the uh, more interesting parts of Firefly, I think, are the, the Reavers, which we find out are basically these cannibalistic mutant space dwellers that were uh, basically poisoned by the government in an attempt to try to pacify a planet's population, and it went completely wrong and made them these berserk cannibalistic monsters. Well, you guessed it, the Reavers are there in their full glory. And again, you know, if you own both properties, why not? Now, if this was by anyone else but Joss, I would say, you know, well, they're just sort of mutant cannibals. But because this is, a, you know, a Whedon project, you know, he uses the same looks and the makeup. And he deliberately put them there because, again... He's friggin' Josh Whedon, and he does what he wants. So, for just a moment, uh, in one of the cubes, and I'm told, and I haven't seen it myself, it goes in a little bit more details in the behind-the-scene uh, uh, footage uh, on the DVD, we see the big squid himself. Yes, Cthulhu. Now, I've seen pictures of him. Uh, the ones I've seen were basically on the green screen, um, and he, ah, good job, he looks like Cthulhu, minus the wings. And, well, maybe the secret governmental agency removed these wings because they're going to take up a lot of space. Uh, I would love to have seen him more during the purge scene. I would have loved to have seen him grow. Uh, speaking of growing, the one that really caught my attention, because... You really almost have to sit there with a remote and, you know, s slow things down and freeze frame. But the one that really caught my attention when I first saw this uh, was uh, the giant 50-foot woman. Because she's a giant 50-foot woman. And, you know, I thought that was, first of all, hilarious because... You know, you've got the the attack of the 50-foot woman from the 50s movie, but, you know, you've got this sort of trope of 50-foot anything. And here we go with the, you know, you know the beginning, the origin, uh, the uh, holy grail and gold standard of 50-foot mutant creatures. And the fact that she is so large and she has to basically bend over inside the cube uh, first of all, it's hilarious, but it's definitely a very visually stunning scene. May okay, stunning's might not, but it catches your attention. It, over all these mutants and reavers and monsters, uh, she she you, she's noticeable. She catches one's eye, as one does when one is a fifty-foot cannibalistic giant woman in a bikini, stuck in a small cube by a government organization. Now, I didn't realize that there was actually a novelization to this, which uh, goes into a lot more details. Or I didn't realize until I was researching this that there was a novelization. It goes into a lot more details, describes a lot more of uh, monsters and creatures that just didn't make it into the cut of the movie. And one of these be beings is referred to as, and I love this name, the Exploding Shard Baby, which is kind of like the mutant, maybe it's a deformed mutant human, maybe it's an alien, but it, it explodes. I think it explodes at least, and it eats people in it. And when uh, Dana and Marty are trying to escape, uh, they see one munching on a, a female employee. 
uh, again, uh, didn't quite ma didn't make it in the movie, but I would love to have seen that. Another creature that did not make it into the movie is man with steaming pipes coming out of his chest. Um, and how can I describe him? Um, oh, he's a man with steaming pipes coming out of his chest and flaming fiery eyes. Uh, apparently he's in a decent chapter or a good portion of the book and I don't know what he's based on but it sounds like an urban legend to me but uh, again great concept for a monster would have loved to have seen him in the movie especially if he gets you know fair amount of time so just like I didn't know that there was a, a book a novelization there also was um, a Universal uh, Studios which I love I don't know which one though uh, attraction I'm guessing that it was Florida or maybe California after I moved back or moved away uh, and before they switched the haunted house over to a, a Walking Dead when I came back and visited about, oh, right before pre-COVID. But there is a character whose name is The Vicious Man. And he's got like body armor and dreadlocks and he's basically a maniacal murderer as one is and it's never really clear is he just is he a psychopath or is he maybe another form of the reavers and guess what else was at the universal attraction something that we are scheduled to talk about today the thing um and the thing doesn't appear in the movie it doesn't appear in the books as far as i know uh the reason why i would assume that it appeared in the attraction at the Universal uh, Studios is Universal Studio owns the right, but uh, it was, as far as I know, it was. I mean, I don't think it was a person dressed up in a, a costume. It was animatronic, maybe puppeted by a real human being. But if so, that would be the French Kiss. Oh wait, no, French Chef's Kiss. Chef's Kiss. Yeah, Chef's Kiss. That's that's what they call it. Uh, of the you know, of the ride, I guess. they. I'm assuming this is much like, say, other horror presentations by Universal, uh, where it was more of a walkthrough than anything else. And in my mind canon, it was there chasing Marty and Dana. Uh, we just didn't see it. Or if we saw it, it took another form. Okay, okay, how about this? How about this? Maybe the vicious man is the thing. Or maybe that man with steam pipes coming out of his chest is the thing. Uh, People's Guide to Cthulhu Mythos has requested that I state that please do not send your therapy bills to us. Because I just scared the bejesus out of you with that thought. Because it scares me. Most of you listeners, or if you listen for a while know that, that I'm not a video gamer uh, because I make the people walk into walls but there's a couple of monsters that are, are at least in some of the guides uh, books that are based on the uh, Left 4 Dead and again or Left 4 Dead video game and again a lot of that kind of blurs with reavers and mutants and the, there's a difference between inbred homicidal mountain mutants and zombie mutants but uh it's science uh but a lot of different mutants uh and zombies fill up the uh, uh the underground base there so some more creepy uh creatures there creepy pastas are the dolls and when i first heard that there were dolls there i was thinking you know like you know deadly barbies and you know annabelle but uh, the dolls are kind of like a family. It's got like this white doll face mask. Uh, and they're, I think the facility people bet on them. So someone had bet on them. And they're seen during the purge scene, you know, burning people alive and going through the cameras. And to me, my research, I didn't see this written down, but I think that it's inspired by uh, the uh, creepy attackers in uh, the movie The Strangers. In The Strangers, you never see their face, in the, or at least in the original movie, they have these 
uh, mask, and one of them is referred to, you know, as, as doll face. Uh, and the dolls are humanoid. They seem to be they seem to be a family, or at least close related friends. Uh, they've got that white porcelain eerie mask. Maybe a, a mom and a mom and pop, uh, and a, a punk son, and a gothic daughter, uh, all wearing black clothing with that pure white porcelain mask. And, you know, who knows? Maybe under there, we've got more Reavers. Maybe they're all Reavers. Attack of the 50-foot Reaver. Now that's scary. So one of the monsters, and I th the one I think I remember the most, is the unicorn. Which, you know, think of it as a mystical, magical creature, but not necessarily a monster. Uh, and if it was, you'd think it'd be some sort of muted, you know, mutated version or perversion like, you know, the, the mermaid that wasn't, that was more like this hominoid swamp, you know, sea monster. But no, this is a pretty much standard white unicorn uh, and it goes around killing people during the purge. Uh, and I think, again, they added it because it was funny, if not fun. But I like how it twisted our expectations. The unicorn's supposed to be the rescuer, the hero, the protector. Especially, even though, you know, we know she's not, she's repres Dana's representative of the virgin. And maybe that's why they work so hard not to get someone who can look the part of the virgin to represent the virgin and the final girl and not actually be one in an attempt to... The unicorn would not attempt to save her. Well, and the uh, the engineering depart, uh, department actually bets on the unicorn. So I mentioned last week that by far one of my favorite female character actors and uh, Josh Whedon's uh, favorite uh, is Amy Acker. And Amy Acker plays uh, uh, Wendy Lynn and, uh, in, uh, in the movie. And so I kind of want to go out on how she died. And she gets pulled through the ceiling by the Kraken. And here's an interesting, the one time we do see, I kind of checked on this, that we do see the Cthulhu uh, is with the Kraken's first appearance uh, with the Scarecrows. Now, uh, I'm kind of wondering, you know, around that time, you know, before that, of course, uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean were, was really big. Uh, and, you know, there's Kraken there, and then there's Davy Jones. So I'm wondering if maybe putting the Kraken and Cthulhu together was a, a Pirates reference. Or maybe, you know, it just makes sense to put tentacle monsters together, or sea-based tentacle monsters. Maybe, you know, the Kraken is a, you know, controlled by uh, the... Um, uh, by the Cthuloid, or maybe it's not a Kraken. Maybe it's, and here, are you ready for your deep cut? It's Sethella, the daughter of Cthulhu, uh, created in, um, you know, Brian Lumley, but in, uh, I believe it's Tina Jens in his daughter's dark womb, uh, is kind of where she shines. So, who knows? That's one of the fun things about this movie. If you bring in a lot of knowledge or at least interest and curiosity and inspiration about horror, horror movies, you can pretty much see a lot of things. Uh, and I think that's purpose. Even if it's not what the directors and the creators intended, they created it, they, they intended it for it to be this kind of open end, dark mirror for you to see things in. Uh, that maybe even they didn't see. That's the beauty of horror. That's the beauty of this movie. Okay, let's uh, get the group back together and let's talk some things uh, as a group. See you then. This is a breakneck case. I'm like, what are we doing next? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs>
Dave and DB go to the movies. Dave and DB go. Movies. Dave and DB go to the movies. Dave and DB go. Hey everyone, it's me, DB. We are back once again. Thank you for listening. And uh, right now we're going to talk about some movies. It's it's. Uh, David Gretchen go to the movies and <laughs> DP interjects. So um, let's 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 uh, you know the, the theme th- writing the theme song for that's going to be interesting. Um, so we're 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 talking about the thing, uh, and we're we're also talking about the thing from outer space, but we're also talking about who goes there. So Dave, you're. I, I want to call you our thing expert. Oh, well, are you? Uh, I am. I will be. I have a PhD in thingology. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so, of course, um, uh, Who Goes There was actually also published as, as a short story. And it was published as um, uh, Who Goes There, but also it was published at least at one time as the thing from another world. Okay. Okay. And that is um, John Campbell. Mm. And John Campbell was a very interesting person in a lot of ways, not always good ways, but he was an engineer. And so when he became uh, the, I believe it was Astounding Stories, he became their chief editor. He says, we're going to be taken seriously. We're going to, not make stupid spelling mistakes. We're not going to publish things with stupid grammar mistakes. We're going to be professionals. And this was kind of, he published it under another name, I think Dan Sharp with Uh another magazine, but that was kind of his attempt to make science fiction and pulp legitimate. Wow. That's like Archie going Christian or, or, or the owner of uh, hustler uh, becoming Christian. I mean, that's, that's like, oh, okay, maybe not necessarily, but you, I don't know. That's <laughs> just like, wait a minute. Get a, so, professionalize a, a, a pretty much what's been a, a more or less a fan science fiction magazine. That's anyway, I'm sorry, Dave. No, that's okay. And so in the original version, I reread the original version. I have a theory. Are you ready for my theory? Go for mm-hmm. it. No one else has ever had this theory, I think. Well, probably lots of people, but I didn't come across it. But the main character is McCready, right? Mm-hmm. Who's played by Kurt Russell, Carrie Russell. Mm-hmm. I get this too confused. Kurt Russell. Thank you. Uh, but um, in the in the book, he is the number two in the base. He is the um, whether he's the meteorologist and he's this big giant guy and he's a scientist and he's everything good about America. Oh, sure. Because remember the book is written pre Vietnam, pre world war two, even or the short yeah, yeah. story is. Yeah. And the, the movie is post Vietnam. So they're going to have different views of the government. Um, All right. But the one word that Campbell uses to describe uh, McCready the most is bronze. He either bronze? describes bronze. So oh. how's this? How's this guy in Antarctica got this nice tan? <clears throat> and seven times he either describes McCready or McCready's beard as bronze. Huh. So my maybe he was a it, ginger. Yes, but my thought is the bronze, we think of scientists, the man of bronze, Doc Savage. Yeah, I, I keep I, thinking Doc Savage. It's like he goes from being Doc Savage to like Hawkeye or, uh, and I don't mean from the Avengers, I mean from MASH. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I think that, I don't think he quite ripped it off, but I think that McCready originally was a Doc Savage tribute. Yeah, cool. Okay. So that's yeah, what I wanted to bring out about. Other than that, then originally he did want to have it. He did write it as a, or wanted to write it as a full length novel. 
Okay. And it was going to be called Frozen Hell. Oh. Of all people, I think it was John Carpenter's son who found the original transcript in his dad's stuff. Uh And it was published about three or four years ago, finally. Yeah, I was going to say, I did see that, that it got republished as like the fuller length version. Yeah. I like to imagine that John Carpenter was telling his son to either go get go get my uh, copy of uh, Resident Evil 2, the remaster, or like go grab some rolling papers. And his son mm. like opened up a drawer in the kitchen and like found this manuscript. Right. <laughs> okay. Or have some chewing gum knowing John Carpenter. I mean, yeah. I, when I saw him in concert, he was like. That guy was chewing so much Nicorette. It was funny. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the guy chain smokes. <laughs> totally. I think he quit smoking, but okay. yes. But still, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he used to chain smoke. Him doing, like, double peace signs, wearing sunglasses, like, chewing on some Nicorette. That's what I, like, took away from that concert. <laughs> yeah. John Carpenter, I, I, I think, is incredible as just... Like as a creator in general. Oh it's, yeah, it's, he's a phenom. There's there's some stuff that it's like didn't really quite hit at the time, but it's like I don't know. Um, Ghosts of Mars still. I mean, if you watch it now, it's like you can see what he was doing, and it's like it wasn't critically acclaimed, and it wasn't like the best movie of 1990, whatever. But yeah, it's like it's still <laughs> great, and it's. It's, I don't know, there's other stuff um, that I just think is amazing that he's done. And it's it's like the goofy stuff with Kurt Russell is like one stuff, but you also have like the other stuff, the more horror-based stuff that I just think is like, like the thing that it's, 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 they use practical effects and the films that use the optical practical effects have kind of stood the test of time that he's done, but the stuff in the late 90s, early 2000s that he did, I don't feel quite as fond about, maybe except for Ghost of Mars. But <laughs> John Carpenter, always, 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 uh, almost always a great watch, in my opinion. Absolutely. He definitely a talent. He definitely a talent. Yeah, no, no. There's... Um, I remember as a kid, the thing being like something that kids would be like, oh, wow, did you see, have you seen the thing yet? Yeah, we watched it last night. We were eating lasagna and my mom's like, all right, I'm turning off the TV. And like Mm -hmm. stories like that and be like, oh, have you seen the thing yet? And it's like, no. And it's like, I remember the thing and the shining were the things to have seen in like 83 as like, oh, the thing was on cable. <laughs> no, the thing was on HBO all summer long. And yeah, no, but it was it was one of those things that it was like kind of like, oh, have you seen it yet? But yeah. Absolutely. And so I, I have a I have a, a thing trivia. OK, so it's basically about a bunch of dudes in a base in South uh, and then and and our South Pole and Antarctica. Sure, sure. There is a female uncredited actress in the movie. Do you know where she is and who she is? Uh, is she the thing? No. Okay. Not the dogs either. Is she on the um uh is she one of the like hang on. I was gonna say the one of the sweets? No. Hmm. The chess computer. Oh. And do you know who it is? No. Carpenter's wife at the time, Adrian Barbeau. Oh, oh. how funny. She's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Awesome. That, that's my trivia. Yeah. Oh. Um, there is that computer and kind of that little scene recreated in fallout for in in kind of like the um first part of the game like the tutorial part you can actually take a video game out of the computer but it's not chess it's anyway but yeah <laughs> and that shows just how iconic that scene has become 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I know that there was a Thing video game. I never played it, just like I never played the Warriors video game, but I, I know there was something that came out on the PS2 or PS3 at least for the Thing a number of years ago. Uh, also, um, Dark Horse took and ran with it and did quite a, a couple of graphic novels. Really? Yeah. Mm. Uh, in which it titled under, it it will, takes over from McCready's story. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And where he's, I mean, it's not in Canada, but he's rescued. And um, that's where, you know, Dark Horse's uh, store, the thing from another world. Uh-huh, uh-huh. They came out about the same time. And so I think there's three or four of them. Uh, huh. And they're, 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 they're very good 80s Dark Horse science fiction comic books. Okay. Huh. I do like uh, 80s Dark Horse science fiction comic books. I'm really surprised uh, Dark Horse, with the properties that they have uh, access to, didn't decide to do, well, what about The Thing versus Predator? What about The Thing versus Terminator? What about The Thing? I'm so glad they didn't. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, it's just like, it's such a really cool tale because, like, um, we were when we were talking about nihilism. It immediately locked into my brain because it's that ending where the two of them are sitting there smoking and trying to decide who's human yeah. and not knowing. And then also this looming threat that this is the end of everything. I mean, oh, yeah. it is part of his apocalypse trilogy. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. it's um, this the thing. Um, in the mouth of madness and Ooh. the prince of darkness. I love that. I want to say, oh, and yeah. um, like sub to that is um, they live. Those are uh-huh. all part of the um, apocalypse trilogy. Oh yeah, yeah, and those are all amazing, amazing movies. Some of my favorite horror movies of all time. But yeah, no, no. Um, Beside the final scene, which is not only uh, captivating, uh, nihilistic, well shot, any other scenes that you all find just kind of like... Oh my gosh, a million, right? Favorite scenes from the movie. Am I allowed to cuss? Yeah. Oh, okay, I wasn't sure if this was a a family-friendly show. It is, but... (laughs) Um, but, but you know, there's that scene that like where they're testing the blood, and he's like, "Might have spent all goddamn more tied to this couch." Like it is, like that is such a like a, a tense moment. Like you get stressed watching it, watching everybody look back at each other as he tests the blood samples, oh. and you're like, "Who could it be? Who could possibly have is carrying this monster?" Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And are they aware that they're carrying the monsters? Right, that's what I want to know is how long are they sentient before this happens? No, that's something I remember thinking of as a kid is like, oh, man, do they even know? Like, do the dogs know? Like, the dogs know, but do the dogs know? (laughs) Right. I mean, they sense that when that dog comes into the pit, I mean, into the dog kennel with the other dogs, and they all are like, oh, no, not this one. No. Yeah, but did that dog know? Or was that dog just like, I'm just doing dog stuff. Get get me away from these crazies. Yeah, this guy tried to shoot me. Yeah. And it's it's like, what point in time did that dog no longer stop being the dog and start being like, I need to feed and reproduce by becoming other stuff. But yeah. And is the thing like, is it um, is it sentient in that respect or is it just an amoeba that is just trying to reproduce and create? Yeah. More? Yeah. Is, is it some sort of like uh, semi sentient cancer that's just going to like destroy the host and keep moving no matter what? And that, I think, is a very sort of Lovecraftian. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, to me, like, immediately, that's immediately, if, when I go to think of, like, Lovecraftian films, like, The Thing is one of the top ones, because, it, I mean, it has all the cosmic horror elements. Oh, sure. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, no. It's, I, I feel like it's, it's like, there's movies like Alien and uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which I feel are like, yeah, those 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 movies are very Lovecraftian in a very specific way, but it's 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 like the thing 
is this step beyond and it's not just because it's filmed in like antarctica it's like no just like john carpenter's at the mouth of madness it has nothing to do with the lovecraft like uh illusions that it's making and it's like you don't see elder things it's not a shoggoth it's 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 something small that came from somewhere else it's it's something human sized and it's just gonna keep changing till it gets somewhere else yeah i definitely agree and it plays on the isolation so well oh absolutely the dread oh yeah yeah no and, and and that's like isolation that you can find in anything from like uh various I want to say Algernon Blackwood's stories. Uh, there's Ambrose Bierce, of course. There's there's like a lot of these like older older stories, like uh, Algernon Blackwood's The Willows. Uh, there's there's H.P. Lovecraft stories in the Mountain like, of Madness. I yeah, mean, it, yeah, like that immediately calls to memory, like because it's we're walking into an Antarctic, you know, wasteland. You know that that's that all feels. And that being separated, being like you were saying, isolated yeah. is is all very Lovecraft. I mean, that's his like stick, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And also, this not only who is human, but you know, who do you trust? Sure, uh, sure. Don't trust anyone. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what Lovecraft would say. Oh, totally, totally. Uh, uh, to hop back at aliens, it's it's like, what if you have someone in your crew who doesn't care about the other people, just wants to contain the other? It's like, thankfully, I don't think we had anyone in the thing trying to, like, make friends with it or kiss oh, it no. or, you know, uh, capture it and uh, uh, take it back to federal uh, holdings or anything like that in this one. But, yeah. <laughs> But that is that is a major component of the thing from another world. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where the where the scientist basically this is true freaks out mm-hmm. at the end. <laughs> the and vegetables and, and uh, James Arness strangles him. Yeah. I always thought that I was I rewatched the 1951 one just because I we were we were doing this podcast I. I had to laugh because it was so many moments of like, they're like, this is, has an intelligence unknown of any sort. And it, yet it's like <laughs> using a big stick and going, <laughs> and then when they called it a carrot, I just died. I couldn't, I cannot. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that though, and for its time, it was a great movie and it was a very, as far as I know, so, Carpenter's thing, he it didn't make money at the time. It didn't make money. In fact, no, of all of his movies that bombed, he took that one. I understand the hardest. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Stan Winston he, didn't even like, um, wouldn't even credit his stuff. Yeah. yeah. Which is like what? <laughs> but you know, the thing from another world, that was at least where I grew up. You know, without cable TV, that was a staple to you know the Saturday afternoon movies. And so Carpenter, how oh, yeah. I'm sure he saw it and not this. Let's try to be friend and welcome our carrot overlord plot. I think <laughs> yeah. a choice not to do it. <laughs> Definitely. Welcome our carrot overlords into. But as 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 we all know, John Carpenter has a fair amount of love for uh, Lovecraft, yeah. and uh, a lot of his uh, contemporaries. And you know, he 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 welcomed his pulp overlords. <laughs> but uh, and but I think you're right, especially you know the the fact that it's practical effects. Mm-hmm. I think it's why it is a classic. Why it's endured the time. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, just yeah, so yeah. textural. You, it feels like something that you would see, or in it, and it has like such like visceralness to it. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. There's there's like scenes in that that I remember as a kid that made me feel as gross as when Han Solo slices open the tauntaun 
and the blue guts come out. I remember being like really upset about that as a kid and being really upset about like stuff. I mean, I was a sensitive kid, but being really upset about like how 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 the thing like really messed up its host and stuff. But <laughs> it's like, like no thought... way they were going to be OK after that. No, like Copper, <laughs> like Dr. Copper, like he's like going to shock um uh uh, what's his name's character and he as he goes in and like the hand the the mouth opens on his chest and like consumes his arms nope there's no coming back yeah yeah no, no immediately no back from infection, any for nobody's gonna be okay in the room yeah nobody yeah and, <laughs> and that i think that's the the scene that gets me the most and yeah. my understanding is that they actually got an amputee yes yeah oh really they use a stand-in for um for um was it Richard um, Dysart? Is that what that actor's name is? I believe so. Yeah. Yes, but that's my understanding of the close-ups that they got a, a an amputee just to make it so. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Norris is the character. I could not remember the name. Norris is getting CPR, or like he's trying to um, shock his chest. Yeah, yeah. Defibrillate. <laughs> thank you those things no, no problem but yeah no that's that's like as a kid i remember being terrified by that scene and then watching it later and being like that is a really cool scene whoever did the special effects who did the special effects i didn't know till later but uh yeah no no that was just like an amazing scene and the head running off later it's Ugh. yeah no it's it's just one of those kind of like horror scenes that it's like just just kind of sticks with you. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like the stuff that nightmares are made of, for sure. Oh, that scene and the um, uh, the scene where he's standing in the snow going, oh, like that is so terrifying. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I remember also the uh, the first time you see like the dogs thing and it's like, oh, that's. This is not good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, the thing, uh, the music in it, it's 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 very minimalistic. It's it's could be done with just a bass guitar in some parts, just plucking one string. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. But it's also just very effective and it really gives you a feeling of isolation and really kind of just just calls to kind of like this like open kind of like sonar kind of it's in the modern age but you're all alone kind of feeling uh but yeah no the thing it's amazing anyone else have anything else to say about the thing i think we pretty much covered it unless gretchen do you have anything hmm nope i mean we talked a lot about his all the um Cthulhu aspects of it, or the Lovecraftian aspects. <laughs> I want to make everything Cthulhu right now. <laughs> Do you know how old Walter uh, Brimley was? He was not very old, you guys. <laughs> he was 35 when this was made. <laughs> you know, I think dumb, something really dumb I noticed when I saw it on the big screen that I didn't ever notice on the VHS or on cable is oh, the that? nose ring. That that the character, the doctor, the psychiatrist, he has a he has a nose ring. Oh yeah. <laughs> or, or copper, yeah. He copper has a nose ring, and I thought, oh my gosh, nineteen eighty two, a big like gold hoop nose ring was so like out of place. Yeah, but you could do whatever you want in Antarctica, man. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, he was kind of a hippie. <laughs> no, uh, Walter Brimley was, I think, forty five. Or uh, Wilford Wilf, Wilford you know, Brimley. Wilford Brimley was forty-five, and like by the time Cocoon came out, he was oh, fifty. That makes me so sad because, like, I mean, as I broach my late forties. <laughs> yeah, we, we we look good for our forties. That's all. We're I'm doing saying. pretty good. We're doing pretty good. <laughs> you know how Wilford Brimley became an actor? Uh, um, was it the not Father Dowling mysteries? It was like, wasn't he like a squeeze the Charmin guy? No, no. He was a horse farmer in Utah. What? Somebody bought one of he had really expensive horses, and someone bought one of the horses, so he delivered it to Los Angeles, and there was an ad for a part 
for China syndrome. Oh, wow. He said, oh, well, I'm in Los Angeles. I've always (laughs) wanted to be an actor. I'll go apply. I'm 25. I can play 47. (laughs) Jesus. Farmers, we farmers age quickly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, everyone, thank you again so much for uh, listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. It's uh, Gretchen, it's been great to have you on your first episode here. It's super awesome to have you. I am so excited. Yeah. I have lots of Lovecraftian things to talk about over the year. (laughs) All right. And um, Dave. Uh, what do we have coming up next? Do you have any idea? Yes, in about two weeks, we are going to have baby goats. Baby oh, goats? What? Yes. So maybe we'll have a baby goat as a guest. So I'm not sure. What are, in fact, I was going to ask you. What are we talking about? Oh, okay. About? Okay. We, All right. All have- right. So up next, uh, next uh, episode, Revelations of Glacky. Uh, Ken Height and Night of the Living Dead. Hmm. And after that, I don't know who we have as the guest, but we have Ran Tagoff and uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the OG. And that's also the OG on Night of the Living Dead. So, yeah. Oh, and after uh, Ran Tagoff, we've got Raul Gay and the Evil Dead. Ooh. Nice. (laughs) I just saw a um, panel at, at that convention we were all at with um, him talking about the Evil Dead stuff coming up. Oh, nice. With Bruce Campbell. Cool, Bruce yeah. Campbell. Yeah. Super duper cool. All right. Well, uh, we'll talk about that more next time. And everyone, have yourself a cool one. And stay squiggly. Keep it weird. And we will talk to you all next time.